Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. That's the voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And that's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello everybody and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with SpeedwayMedia.com's John Harlow. And we have a very special guest for you here on Talking in Circles tonight. 1998 Daytona 500 champion Derek Cope joins the show. Derek, thanks for joining the show. Absolutely. How are you tonight? We're great. Uh, first of all, I want to start off at the very beginning, if we can, of your career there. Uh, obviously, you the, the the well-known story is you were a baseball player, had a great baseball career going in college, uh, then a whole plate collision kind of ended those dreams, and at 21 years old, you kind of uh, switched your your uh, career path a little bit and went to a race car driver. What can what did that uh, what was that whole transition like there? Well, certainly, I you know I played baseball since I was young and had aspirations to play professionally and was uh, on that path. Uh, and I had a background in racing and motorsports from drag racing roots with my father being a touring professional. So obviously when I was hurt and uh, really could not, um, you know, play baseball anymore, uh, it was obviously the easiest transition was to do something that was really, I guess, in my, you know, in my genes and, you know, was supported by my family. Uh, so I was obviously in a position to, to be uh, in a position to work on engines and be around race cars and, my brother was actually driving a stock car at that time uh, just as I was hurt. So it kind of was a natural transition for me. Hey, Derek, uh, this is John Harlow. Um, you signed on in 1989 uh, with Whitcomb Racing. How did you put that deal together? Well, I had, had uh, a, a bird dog, uh, you know, a, a guy that was like, pitching me in a number of uh, sponsorship opportunities. And I got the call uh, when I basically was – uh, out of the Stoke, Fred Stoke car uh, in late 87. And, you know, basically got an opportunity to come to Tulsa, Oklahoma to meet with Carol Warner, uh, their then president uh, at Pure Later Products, and was able to put a program together there and left uh, uh, with the sponsorship, was a, which was a bit unorthodox, but I left with the sponsorship without having a race team. And so I came back to North Carolina in, in search of one, and that's when I, I ran into Jim Testa with the old Elmo Langley team and put that together. And then you know, uh, Jim uh, Jim had had some health issues, and throughout the 88 uh, season, at the end of the 88 season, you know, basically was looking for somebody to take over, and that's when I took the sponsorship to, to uh, Bob Whitcomb and finished out uh, 1988 and went on into 1989 with uh, with Bob. Now, obviously, Derek, when everybody thinks of you, that thing that comes to mind is 1990 Daytona 500. Uh, the first off is. is you ran great in that race. You up front all day long. Um, and, you know, what What came to mind when you sat there and said, hey, you know, you saw Earnhardt's tire blow in turn three. He had dominated the race all day long. Uh, but you were right there. What What went through your mind when you saw Earnhardt's tire blow and you went past him and you realized that you were going to win the Daytona 500? Well, certainly – we had ran exceptionally well all day long at the front and really was really pedaling the car all day, taking care of it. So I knew we had, you know, a really good car and was capable of, of being in the mix late in the race. And 
when uh, Bill Elliott and Terry Labonte had tried me together down the back straightaway laps before the end, I knew that it was really down to Dale and myself. And we, you know, I stayed on his back bumper pretty much every lap going off into one, but I was exceptionally loose because I was, I didn't take on tires and I was on, on used tires in contrast to what Dale had. And I kept uh, chasing the thing up the racetrack and he kept going up there. So I knew that I could pinch the car down and drive to the bottom, you know, on the last lap and try to see if I'd had, you know, if I could put myself in position to get at least to his back bumper earlier than I had going off into one. And by the time I lost some ground getting off into turn one there and, uh, you know, I'd lost some ground down the back straightaway and then going off into three, I saw that um, he started to pedal and I started having a closing rate on him. And I just, I was going to run the bottom and I went to the bottom and luckily I did because he was uh, there and he uh, had to chase the car up. And when I drove by, you know, there was a gap and I knew at that point, you know, if I could just stay flat off a four that, you know, Bill and, and Terry weren't, were not going to get me because they had tried me together before. So I knew at that point that we, we had a good chance of winning the Daytona 500. And certainly uh, when we came across uh, out of the trial there, I knew that this is, this was it. And it was an amazing feeling. Derek, does it ever get old getting introduced as Daytona 500 champion, Derek Cope? You know, it really, it doesn't, you know, actually it's funny, you know, it's been so long, I guess, and in a lot of people's eyes, they say, well, you know, 1990 was, you know, was a long time ago, but, you know, it's still relevant uh, when you're, when you're still racing and you're still going to the racetrack every week. Um, it's very, it's very relevant and it seems like it was not that long ago. So the memories are just etched in your mind and you can close your eyes and you can still feel the warmth on your face from victory lane. And it's just one of those indelible moments that I think it's just life changing and uh, a true moment in time that, you know, you just never forget. And it's, you know, uh, it's embedded in, in what you, uh, what you remember. And uh, still you just, yeah, I mean, it's just, it brings back those memories. They're flooded every time you drive through the, you know, through the tunnel. Or somebody says, you know, 1990 Daytona 500 winner, and you know, introduces you that way. It, uh, it just brings back those moments. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow here, talking in circles, speaking to 1990 Daytona 500 champion Derek Cope. Derek, does it ever bother you? A lot of people call that a very uh, one of NASCAR's biggest upsets. Does that ever bother you that it was called an upset? I mean, you had some really good people there: Buddy Parrott, you had Keith Dorton engines, uh, yourself. Um, does that ever bother you that it was considered an upset? Uh, not so much now. I think certainly at the time, uh, you know, it was, you know, a lot of things were said. And I think, you know, a lot of it just because it was early in my career, uh, obviously uh, in the infancy of my career, I really didn't have a great deal of experience to draw from, uh, you know, for, for going and winning, you know, a race of that magnitude. But, you know, to go on, I think, later that year and, to really, I think, reinforce or solidify the fact that we were uh, uh, capable of winning more than just one race. Uh, well, we backed it up at Dover in dominating fashion, and we ran good the whole year, really. You know, when we had the, the engine program that we had from Hendricks and, and Keith Thornton, we were, we were a good race team. And like any team, you know, when you have good people and you have good equipment, then you can showcase your potential. But, you know, obviously people are going to say what they want to say, and you have detractors, and you know, and I think in every every sport somewhere. So that's just something you have to deal with and stay within yourself and try to, to believe in what, uh, what you're doing. Derek, uh, you've driven for a lot of car owners in your career, including legendary figures like and hall of famers, like Bobby Allison, Kale Yarbrough, you've owned your own equipment too. How much input and how much did you pick up from what Bobby and Kale taught you both in the driver's seat and in the owner's seat? 
Well, certainly, I think you learn from everyone. Uh, and I'm a firm believer. I've, I've been brought up that way that, you know, the people that have, you know, paved the way, you certainly find uh, and, and you draw a lot more from those individuals. And I think that's why I really tried to stay receptive uh, in every situation I've been in. And I, I just I believe you never stop learning. And, you know, obviously, too, I had I had an involvement with Bobby Allison very early in my career uh, in 1980 when it was my first full season. Uh, I was running for Rookie of the Year, and Bobby came out and drove my car at Portland Speedway and ended up uh, winning the race and, you know, taught me a number of things about some of the issues we were having at that point in time. And, you know, obviously to this day I remember them. And then to go out and drive for Bobby, uh, was really a, an enjoyable time. One of the one of the best years uh, of my career, in, as far as enjoyment and you know, I think running competitively week in and week out with Jimmy Fennig as a crew chief and Keith Allman in the engine side, and you know, it was just, you know, I think we just clicked. And uh, Bobby was a racer's racer, and I learned a lot, you know, from the chassis side and you know, feel and what you're looking for in a car. <laughs> and you know, uh, Kale Yarbrough, I mean, I think. You know, I learned some things from Kale as well. I mean, Kale, um, you know, talked a lot about, you know, the draft and things, and he would talk about certain things that, you you know, you were looking for and, and sensations. And so, you know, those are the kinds of things you pick up on, and I, I think you just take what everybody tells you and you listen to it, and then you draw the things out that you can utilize or is best suited for you. Not everything works, but certainly, you know, a lot of things do. So you try to understand what – and there's other, other you know, car owners I've had, you know, big, great businessmen and – um, and the president of Purelayer and his wife Sue are friends today, and I learned a lot from Carol and, and a marketing standpoint. And so, you really have been very fortunate to have met a lot of great people and have had great relationships. Recently, you announced uh, that you will be back in the NASCAR Sprint Cup Series on a fairly regular basis, uh, driving for Premium Motorsports. Uh, Jay Robinson is a guy you had a relationship with in the past. How did that deal come about? Uh, you know, with, with Jay Robinson this year in Premium Motorsports. Well, we just, uh, you know, obviously I've been friends with Jay for a long period of time, and, you know, I've run my own team, and he's been very instrumental in helping me with that. And it just seemed like that, uh, you know, with the complexion of the sport, where things are going and the lack of funding we had, you know, we you know, we had dinner and had the opportunity to speak on several occasions. And, you know, we had talked about, you know, maybe doing, um, you know, working together collectively to do our own cup thing. And, and then we just spoke about uh, the opportunity for me to drive, um, you know, uh, on a limited basis possibly and working on his team uh, with, uh, you know, the non-chartered car. So, you know, after my wife and I spent time talking about it, we just felt like that this was probably the best opportunity for us to go back and, and get in the Cup Series and, and run, you know, some quality equipment with people we know and feel comfortable with. And, you know, we were going to be, you know, involved looking for sponsorship together. And, you know, and so – that's what we we really decided to do, and that's how it came about. And you know, we're very fortunate that uh, they're giving us the opportunity for us to uh, to procure funding and go out and try to find relationships. And and that's what we do. And you know, this year we're working with the USFRA, uh, which is uh, you know uh, a, a very excited uh, program. It's in first responders, uh, something that we're very excited about and have great. Uh, uh, you know, support of and looking forward to trying to create some uh, opportunities to raise financial support for the programs there as well. So, you know, it's, that's what, just what it's about. It's about just trying to really uh, continue the relationship that we've had with Jay and uh, to get back in the Cup Series and try to enjoy what uh, time I have left, with, you know, in, in my career. Uh, Derek, how tough is it when you go to a team like Premium and they're a small team? 
and you see the Joe Gibbs Racings or the Hendrick Motorsports or the Penske, the Team Penske's that have full factory support from Toyota, Chevy, and Ford, and you guys are going to be running, like you said, a non-chartered team. You're fighting to get funding, and how tough is it when you're trying to compete on the same level as those guys? That's nothing new for me. I've certainly pretty much been that my whole entire career. So I've never been in one of the highest echelon rides, and I've always been in, you know, teams that have, you know, maybe had the less amount of funding and, you know, but have had great people at certain, uh, you know, points of my career. I've I've been with guys like Jimmy Fennig and, you know, Doug Hewitt and, you know, uh, Ryan, uh, Ryan Pemberton. So a lot of Buddy Parrott. I mean, it's a lot of great guys. Bob Johnson, you think about all the names in the past, but we've been productive, um, maybe not week in and week out, but we're in a position really, I think, to showcase our potential at racetracks uh, throughout those times. And, you know, we've had our, you know, we've had our, our, our positive times and our, our moments. And uh, I think small teams have to look at it from that standpoint because, you know, you have to find, um, you have to kind of like, I guess, fight the good fight. And, um, you know, you kind of lay in the weeds in some areas where you're not as proficient, and then you really battle the places you feel like you can. And, um, you know, that's that's basically what I've done my whole career. And we've, you know, I've sat on outside poles. I've had a pole. I've won races and, uh, and you know, that in the Xfinity Series as well. So it's not like we can't do it. It's just trying to find the resources. And I think finding you know, commitment and, you know, cohesiveness within the people you have. I think it really comes down to heart, desire, and people willing to work together and believing in, in, a, in a common goal. And, you know, if you ever find that, um, I think that you can make a lot of things happen. And I found it a number of times, and, uh, you know, I feel like that uh, it, it can happen again. And it doesn't have to be a big team to make those things happen. I think Bob Jenkins obviously has proven that on several occasions himself. For sure, Derek, and, and just a few more here. Uh, obviously, the last few seasons you've run the Xfinity Series. NASCAR made some change with that series as far as the bodies go and the templates and all that kind of stuff. How much did that impact the, your your plans for 2017? Uh, you know, you, that, you, you as an owner driver would have to you know pay for those body modifications and stuff like that. Uh, how much of an impact did that have on you guys to make this decision to go cup racing uh, in 2017? It had a major impact. I certainly was um, looking at the complexion of what uh, obstacles were going to be there for the Xfinity Series. And, you know, a small team like myself, uh, where we have, you know, limited funding and we didn't have a lot of equipment to deal with, was going to take an enormous amount of upgrades uh, for the Speedway cars. Uh, and obviously, um, you know, all the other things that were going with the front uh, valences and things of that nature. And then now they're going to, uh, the composite bodies on the road courses and short tracks. So I just saw that, you know, there was a great deal of, of, of funding and money that's had to be spent to upgrade what we had and the complexion of all the new teams coming in that were from large teams, you know, had affiliations with Cup Series. So it just was a time where I felt like it was the best move for us was to move away from that and the opportunity to be with Jay and, and run a Cup car that has quality equipment from bigger teams I felt like it was just the best move for us. I think that, uh, it, you know, it's going to be difficult for a small team, uh, you know, in the Xfinity Series this year. So I felt like it really was a, a time to move. Your deal with premium starts in Atlanta. Uh, are you going to be at Speed Weeks? And if you are, how much is it going to suck not being in a car? 
it always sucks not being in a car, you know, especially at Daytona, you know, when you have uh, such, you know, you feel like that you can drive, uh, you know, I guess it, in a draft and you can make a lot of things happen with subpar equipment even, you know, so I've been there so many times with things that don't work. So you really feel like that you can go there and make a difference. And when you don't have a ride, certainly it's, it's it makes you a bit, a bit despondent. But for me, you know, um, I, I am going down with premium motorsports uh, in a capacity working on the cars and doing, uh, I do the shocks and I do a lot of the shock absorber work there and, um, you know, work with, uh, you know, uh, you know, Mark Hillman and the guys, uh, you know, pretty closely. So I enjoy every aspect of the racing. I enjoy the engine side, the shock absorber side, uh, you know, and setup. So um, just being there and, and being able to, you know, I guess, you know, compliment uh, the guys and, and to, to do something that you think is going to, you know, be helpful is, is certainly enough. Uh, so I look forward to going down there with the team and, and working at it. Just being at Speedwakes, you know, sometimes is, is enough. Just because if you can't drive, you certainly want to be there. Uh, there's something about Daytona, and just being there is is a wonderful experience, and you want to absorb all you can. But looking forward to to getting onto Atlanta, where I can get back in the car and uh, you know get back in a Cup car. I feel like a Cup car suits my style of driving, and I like the speed, and I'm excited about driving this these new cars and the grip level of those cars. So um, really, really looking forward to uh, you know the beginning of uh, of, of this year at uh, Atlanta. It's been 27 years since you won the Daytona 500, and you've had some really good rides, and you've had some ones where you've fought tooth and nail to make it to the track every week. What keeps drive? What drives you to keep coming back? I think just love of the sport. Uh, I love driving the race car. Uh, it's truly, you know, it's been a gift. I've been doing it for 35 years, and you know, obviously made a living doing it, and I've met a lot of great people, but just the true gift of driving the race car itself. And there's nothing else like it. And just to be able to get in there and experience something new again, uh, that, you know, obviously the cars have changed, uh, the grip levels in the cars have changed. So those are elements that I think as a race car driver, you really, you know, really love and, and really want to experience and understand is, is to go out and, you know, truly manipulate a race car and see how much grip it's got. And then, you know, all the ancillary things they have now with, you know, the, the things that I haven't had before, like an adjustable track bar. So just experience the cars at, at this, uh, at this level now again. So, um, new experience, a new learning curve. And it's just something that, uh, you really, as a race car driver, love to have to, uh, to go and work at, uh, and relearn. So just, um, I'm very motivated right now to go back into a cup car and, uh, and get out there and drive the car hard. Just a couple more from me, Derek, here, if you don't mind. One, you mentioned about uh, the Xfinity Series going to composite bodies for short tracks and road courses in 2017. There's now talk that the Cup Series is looking at doing that for the entire 2018 season. How do you feel about composite bodies? Do you think it's it's a good – as being a former dr- owner and driver, do you feel it's a good way to save these owners money? Uh, do you think it helped make the sport more competitive? How do you feel about composite bodies uh, sort of making their way into the upper echelon of NASCAR? You know, it's just it's just change. I, I think they're they're looking for ways to to make it easier uh, for the teams to be able to, to repair cars and uh, to maintain those cars. And and certainly it, it hurts. It you know it's twofold. You know, it hurts a lot of the guys that make a living. You know, that are you know are very are craftsmen at what they do. You know, hanging bodies and manipulating the metal and and you know English wheeling cars and stuff, which we've done for so long. It does take those people's expertise out of the equation. And then it 
it opens up avenues internally for teams to spend less money and maybe be able to, to stay within themselves. And then it creates more parity where you can't manipulate the cars as much and you have to work in other areas. So, you know, what that does is it stimulates the engineering side and, and escalates costs because you have to look in other areas. So, you know, it's twofold. And um, it's it's harder to pick which way to go. Um, from a crash standpoint, you know, uh, you just got to be careful that, you know, there are still crush zones and the energy is absorbed in certain areas before it gets to the driver. So those are the only concerns I think you know, a person just has to look at. And my final one day, Derek, um, if I were to go back in time and sort of go and get in a time machine and talk to 20-year Derek Cope at Whitman College, the catcher, and told him, hey, you're going to have a great career in a longer NASCAR and win the Daytona 500, uh, what would you think he would have said to me if I walked up to him and told him that? Is it almost unbelievable? I think so. I think, you know, again, you're you're naive. You know, I was, I was young and you're 17, 18 years old, you know, and uh, you, you're naive. And I think at that point in time, you know, to be able to have somebody come and say, you're going to win the Daytona 500 and have a, you know, a, be a stable fixture in the sport of NASCAR at that point in time, I would have thought, well, I'm, I'm a bit far removed from it being in Spanaway, Washington. But, I, you know, I guess after I was hurt, my father was doing engines and had had engines at the Daytona 500. So I guess it wasn't that far removed, but uh, certainly if you just said that, I'd have probably thought, uh, I'd have thought twice about it. But uh, obviously a year later, I definitely had aspirations to be there. Well, Derek, thank you so much for joining the show tonight. It was a pleasure talking to you and good luck in 2017. Thank you so much for having me on tonight. No problem. That was Derek Cope, 1990 Daytona 500 champion. Uh, gave us a lot of great, interesting comments there, John. Uh, the composite bodies, which uh, there was an article actually tonight about it that I read that just came up about two hours before the show that there's rumors that NASCAR might be considering um, or is considering composite bodies for the full 2018 season. I heard they were making their way into the Xfinity Series as well. Wasn't sure what the deal was. Sounds like it's going to be short tracks and road courses, um, but gave us a lot of good information there, uh, and it really has me pulling for him, John. Oh, yeah, you can hear his love of the sport when you're talking to him. Um, and especially when it, you get a guy who's won the Daytona 500. He's been in decent rides. And he's coming to a premium motorsports ride in a non-chartered car. And he's going to do everything he can to make the race every week and make sure they do everything they can to climb through the rankings, have a solid season. I mean, you could tell. He could easily just hang it up and say, okay, and always be introduced as the 1990 Daytona 500 champion, Derek Cope. But no, he still loves the sport. He still wants to put the helmet on. He still wants to go fast, and he still wants to compete. And he can't fault a guy for wanting to do that. Not at all, and it's refreshing to hear that because, you know, you hear some things like some drivers, we're not going to go out and call them any names, but, you know, it's talking about the schedule being too long, and, uh, you know, it kind of bothers the fans the wrong way because they're sitting there going, hey, you get paid a lot of money to drive a race car. And to hear somebody who loves it as much as he did, does, uh, and, and to hear how it's just refreshing to hear because obviously you know everybody's ready to go and, and Speed Weeks is, is upon us now, but uh, it's really refreshing to hear that for sure. Uh, after you know, kind of the, everybody talking about the schedule being too long, uh, this is a guy who's put his heart and soul into it in the Xfinity Series, um, and it sounds like he's got a pretty good deal here with Premium Motorsports coming up. I think it's gonna be a good thing. Uh... I mean, like we were, we were talking back and forth offline whenever we were interviewing Derek. He has to be pulling for him. I want to see the little guy do well. And I've reamed about NASCAR 
going to be nine teams soon of four cars each. And I still want to see the little guy have a shot. And especially after talking to Derek tonight, you really want that little guy to be him. Absolutely. I agree with you wholeheartedly there. Uh, uh, 917-889-8280 to join the conversation here on Talking Circles. Um, we're going to start our team previews here, John. Obviously, here we go. You know, we're we're here. I mean, Speed Weeks is upon us. You know, uh, Saturdays, the uh, Advanced Auto Parts Clash at Daytona. Sunday's Daytona 500 qualifying. We'll discuss all that later. But our team previews, we're discussing each team and breaking them down here going into the 2017 season. And let's start off with Furniture Racing. They're expanding from a solo car operation to a two-car operation in 2017. Uh, Eric Jones is added. He's going to drive the number 77 uh, five-hour energy sports clips Toyota for them. Chris Gale's the crew chief. Jones finished fourth last year in the Xfinity points. Uh, he had four wins, 15 top 10 finishes. Uh, listen, I've, I've preached to the choir about his – I've praised this kid. Uh, I think he, out of all the young drivers, and this includes anybody you want to throw in there, I think he has the most talent. I really believe that. Um, he's he's It's going to have a learning curve. The consistency isn't there where we want it, where it's been, where you'd like to see it, obviously, in a truck series. Uh, his first year there, it, it, he win a race, and then he you know have, have bad luck or, or something would blow up or blow a tire or something like that. But I think as far as flashes of brilliance go, uh, this kid has got it all. He's put it all together. He's a great, great driver. Um, I think he could definitely win a race and make the chase here in 2017. What are your thoughts on Eric Jones' rookie year in the, in the Cup Series? I think Eric Jones' year has every chance to be huge and every chance to fall apart. The reason being is Joe Gibbs has loaned him the Furniture Row Racing for one year. He has a one-year contract at Furniture Row. Granted, Furniture Row and Joe Gibbs are tied at the hip right now, but you still got to wonder how much of the folks in Denver are saying, why do we invest so much into this kid whenever he's going to be probably driving uh, the number 20 car or something at Joe Gibbs Racing next year? Um, I really think that Eric Jones has the talent, but the one thing that did surprise me is he was better than Daniel Suarez the whole time going through the Xfinity Series this year. But Suarez won the title. That's one of those things. You're down to a one-race deal, and you can't beat your teammate. And you've been the class of the field between the team throughout the season. And you have one race to do it, and you can't. I think there's something uh, interesting when it comes to that. I think Furniture Row Racing has done amazing things, especially the way Cole Pern and Martin Truex did it Mm -hmm. with taking Gibbs equipment. And a lot of times beating Gibbs with their own stuff because they'd get the stuff and then they'd modify it and put their tweaks to it. And they were rock solid throughout the year. 78 car probably was the best car throughout the season until they hit the mid part of the chase and they had the engine blow and it sort of ruined their season. It was a combination between the 78 or the four car who were the most consistent cars throughout the season. And that butt whooping they put on everybody at the Coke 600 is something I'll never forget. Oh, absolutely. That was an amazing race for them. Uh, you brought up something interesting earlier on, and I, I want to touch on here. You know, obviously, Eric Jones is Joe Gibbs Racing background. Chris Gale comes from Joe Gibbs Racing, the crew chief for that car. Are you at all worried about the performance of the 78 as far as, listen, this 78 team, we talked about it at length last year. They went out and beat even Joe Gibbs Racing cars in their own stuff. They were phenomenal last year. Are you at all 
you know, concerned, hey, if we give Eric Jones sort of, like you mentioned, sort of give Eric Jones information, Cole, uh, Chris Gale information, uh, that they'll pass it along to Joe Gibbs' car and sort of even the gap between Joe Gibbs Racing and Furniture Row Racing. Um, and we saw this kind of happen with Hendrick Motorsports and Stuart Haas Racing. And it just seemed like, um, you know, when Stuart Haas was beating Hendrick, Hendrick was kind of scratching her head going, is this really the right deal? Uh, so, what do you, what's your opinion on that whole thing with, with Furniture Row and Joe Gibbs Racing this year? Adding a second team, do you see Furniture Row maybe falling down a little bit? Uh, their performance, you know, taking a step down because they're adding a second team and, and everything that goes with that. What are your thoughts on that? I think another year of Martin Truex Jr. and Cole Pern together has nothing but dollar signs and trophies in the way. I think they're a solid, locked-in team. I think it'll help Chris Gale and Eric Jones to – pick at the brain of Cole Pern and Martin Truex Jr. Truex has already said he's looking forward to having Eric Jones as a teammate to help him along the way Dale Jr. helped him along in the Xfinity series or back in the day when it was the Bush series. Um, so I don't really see much of a drop off. It's not like they're expanding a lot because I mean, Gibbs is providing chassis and providing everything else. It's not like they're building the whole car out there where they got to come up with, 55 new cars from the furniture row shop no they're getting their stuff from joe gibbs racing they're just massaging it out in colorado instead of doing it in charlotte yeah it's interesting and let's talk about martin Shrex jr obviously last year a lot of people talk about that team saying they were the best car all last year uh finished ended up finishing uh the points in 11th they had four wins eight top five 17 top 10 finishes bass pro shops is back auto owners insurance is back they added a race with Wicks filters. You got Furniture Row going to be on that car as well. Cole Pern is back. Martin Trix Jr. is back, like you mentioned. Uh, this team, I think, is prime and ready to go. Uh, I like the fact that they haven't changed much. When when if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And they are right on cue here. It seems like everything is going good. I think Cole Pern is a diamond in the rough. I think he's a great crew chief. I think Truex has finally got a ride where he can prove himself. Has done a very good job. Um, I'm going to be interested to see if if the TRD horsepower can keep up with what we've seen the last couple of years, because the last couple of years, Toyota horsepower has been really, really good, but those guys are working hard in the engine shop over there at Hendrick Childress uh, over there at Roush Yates. So it'll be interesting to see, and we'll get a good feel of this uh, for the, for, through the first four or five races on far as how horsepower goes. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? Uh, you think this team is ready to go here to 78 for 2017? I think the 78 team's dialed in, set to go They're They had a great season last year. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. is just going to keep building off of it because if there's one thing I've noticed about the way he drives, he's a momentum driver. And if he feels that he is going to be successful, he he's one of those guys who can turn a fifth-place car into a third-place car instead of turning a fifth-place car into a tenth-place car. So Truex is going to keep locked in. I think the furniture or racing team is going to be solid. I don't think Eric Jones will make the chase to the playoffs. I think he'll have a solid top of the season, but there's going to be some learning curve going on there. He's going to get himself in some situations that he's not used to. And plus driving this low downforce car is something he's never really had to do. Yeah, it's going to be interesting with the change in cup and everything. But listen, everything Eric Jones has been in from the moment uh, I saw, we, we first heard of him when he was running that snowball derby years ago with Kyle Busch and he took Kyle Busch toe to toe. That was unbelievable. Um, and I think this kid's just got so much skill. He drove that 18 car at Kansas when he first drove there. Did a great job. Filled in for Matt Kenseth. 
the two races that Kenseth was suspended a couple of years ago. So, listen, this kid's got it all. I think he's got – I think it's a complete package. I really do. I think he's better than Chase Elliott. And that's no disrespect to Chase Elliott because I think Chase Elliott is a great driver too. But I really like this kid, Jones. Um, and I, I think they're going to have a really good year over there, Furniture Racing. If Toyota's got that horsepower, you know, where it's been the last year or two because they've really been good. Uh, the <clears> next team on our on our block here, on our preview block here – is Chip Ganassi racing with Felix about? It's a very, very interesting team this year for a couple of reasons. You got Jim McMurray, who's never finished in the top 10 in points. He always does a pretty good job there. Uh, it just seems like he's always very consistent. Uh, he's a great teammate to, to a youngster like Kyle Larson. Uh, but an interesting year for, for Larson because of the fact that Target, uh, there's rumors they're not going to be back after the 2017 season. Um, you know, now you have one uh, credit one bank stepping up a little bit and sponsoring that, that 42 car, but let's start with McMurray here. He's an interesting guy. Like I said, never finished in the top 10 in points. Um, but this team seems to really like him, but I think it's an important year for him because it's time to start winning some races in the last six years. McMurray's won one race and that's maybe no fault of his own. Maybe this team hasn't been where it needed to be in the last couple of years, but Matt McCall is a great crew chief. It is a very good job over there. Um, they have the sponsorship back with McDonald's and Cessna. Uh, you know, but I just think we need to see something from this team, the next step to get to that next level to where they can really compete for a championship and teams go, wow, because I think this is a, a crucial time in our sport where we're seeing a lot of young kids come in, a lot of young kids sort of flourish in the Xfinity series. And then that means that, that a couple of veteran guys who have have a track record might be falling down from the rides they've been in. Uh, I think of a name like Casey Kane, maybe if Casey doesn't, you know, turn things around here in a year or two. Uh, so I think it's a big year here for McMurray. What are your thoughts on that one team? I think the one team has continued to be there. They're not going to light the world on fire, but they're not going to be back of the pack. I mean, McMurray's found a way to keep himself where he's making the playoffs. He's made it two years in a row. Uh, He had the one year where he won every big race he could win, but they didn't make the chase that year. And now he's been more consistent, but he's not winning races. One of the things that I – kind of wonder is how much longer McMurray stays in that one car and part of it is he's okay sooner or later there's got to be there's going to be a young gun coming up the pipeline like a Kyle Larson there's going to be the next Kyle Larson coming through the field and sooner or later I mean Jamie McMurray's in his getting ready to hit 40 soon he's been around a while and doesn't have that many wins to show for it he could be the one who could be a silly season casualty coming up this year. Yeah, he's. it's an interesting year for him, no doubt about it. I think um, they've done a good job. I mean, I don't think you look at that one and say he's been a complete disappointment in that car. I think he's done a very good job in that car, even when that team is sort of lackluster a little bit. You know, he's been there a long time now. He's, he's uh, teammates with Montoya there. He's done a nice job there, but uh, it's just time, especially if that 42 runs good, it's time for that team to make the next step. Uh, he's gonna, Like you said, he's going to be 40. He's 40 now. He's going to be 41 come June. So uh, an important year for him as well coming up. You know, I think another important year for Kyle Larson. Obviously, we talked about the tar- Target thing a little bit earlier. Um, Target, rumors are not going to be back. They've left their IndyCar program at Chip Ganassi Racing. Uh, they Their contract runs through 2017. No word if they're coming back yet. Um, but Larson's a guy who we were all kind of waiting for him to hit his stride. And he's finally did that in 2016, won a race at Michigan, made the chase. Uh, it, I think this kid is, is poised. I mean, listen, the talent's there. There's no doubt about it. Uh, they got to put it all together over there. Uh, Chad Johnson's back, and I think a lot of people sort of question that hire. 
since uh, he didn't have a whole lot of success with Tony Stewart, but it seems like it paid off for him. You know, uh, when you look at his points finish, he finished ninth in points. It was a great year for him. Uh, 10 top fives, 15 top tens, maybe a little bit more consistency from that 42 team would be nice, especially with how the points lay out this year. Um, but what do you talk? What are, you, what are your thoughts on Kyle Larson here for 2017? I think Kyle Larson has a great future in this sport. And one of the things I question is how long he's going to be at Ganassi. I think he's too good for that team. Um, Ganassi's a good team. I think Kyle Larson's a great talent. And he should be running for one of the top-tier teams. He should be at Hendrick or Gibbs or Stuart Haas or Penske. He's got that kind of talent. I think he, at times, has run into the problem of he's running better than the, but better than the equipment he has. I think Chad Johnson turned his career around, and I think it was a great move. And one of the things you heard Tony Stewart say last year is he let Chad go to Ganassi because Tony didn't want to ruin his career because everybody was thinking because Tony was running like crap, it was Chad's fault. And we find out that Chad can put a good car together and Chad can make things go. He did it for Truex at Michael Waltrip racing. So it wasn't uh, Chad Johnson being a crappy crew chief. It was Stuart not having it in the car and not being able to adjust to the way the car changed over the past few years. So I think the 42 team, I think he'll make the playoffs. I think he'll get a win or two. I really think he's due to break out. He's got a a four or five win season coming up real soon. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think, you know, but you need to really see the next step here with this team. And it's not anything of Larson's doing. It's a shame because I think this kid might be two years away from really, really competing for a championship but they need to make the next step and really be strong because of that target situation. They're going to need to sell sponsorship on that 42 car. Now I'll say this, they've done a great job over there at Chip Ganassi racing, selling sponsorship. They got Cessna, which is a great sponsor McDonald's for McMurray, which is a great sponsor credit one bank. Maybe that's the company in line to sort of take over for target, but you're still going to need some sponsorship over there in that 42 car. And if you win and, and, and you run up front, it makes that selling that sponsorship a lot easier. So I think for Larson, John, it's a year where you have to see some improvement and not saying that he had a bad year last year, but I think if you're running for a championship and you're winning a lot of races and you're running up front all the time, sponsorships are going to be like, I want to be with him. I want to be with him. I want to be with him. Sort of like we see with Chase Elliott. He got Hooters this year. Chase Elliott has a lot of sponsors on that 24 car because he ran up front and he's got the recognition and he's, he's with Hendrick Motorsports, a great race team. Um, so I think the same, same deal applies to Larson here in 2017. I think it's going to be a, this is a make or break year for Larson. Well, actually not Larson, but more Chip Ganassi racing of whether Larson stays or Larson jumps to another team. I mean, there's going to be holes and I think somebody would make a hole to get Kyle Larson in their seat. So Ganassi's got to come out and put the right equipment underneath Kyle Larson or Kyle Larson, who I believe his contract I believe is up at the end of this year too, um, could end up jumping somewhere else. Yeah, it's, again, it's an inter- yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. For Chip Ganassi Racing, it's a big year for them. Can they step up? Can they pr- perform? They got Hendrick Engines over there. Can they perform? Can they prove that they're a big team and play with the big boys? I think that's a that's a fair assessment for that race team. Next team and, and the final team we're doing here before we go to Speed Weeks 2017 is Stuart Haas Racing, another very interesting team. Um, when you look at that team, it's sort of been a tale of, of you know, the 4 and the 41 running really good and the 10 and the 14 not running really good the last couple of years. And now they have this big-time distraction 
Um, obviously, Tony Stewart's retired. Clint Boris stepping in. But the big-time distraction coming into the year, Nature's Bakery, they filed suit against them for over $30 million for lack of sponsorship on Danica Patrick's car, which we'll touch on in a little bit. But let's talk about that four car. Kevin Harvick, Rodney Childers, back as crew chief. Bush Beer, Jimmy Johns. Uh, this guy finished eighth in points last year. He, to me, John, has been a top three driver in this sport for the last three years. This team, this four team, when you look at it, they're one of the teams to beat every week you go. Every week you go. Harvick's good anywhere he races, whether it's a short track, a super speedway, a mile and a half, a road course. Harvick can win anywhere at any time. This team is dangerous. Um, but what, are you concerned at all that they're moving from Chevrolet to Ford? Obviously, they've had the luxury of having Hendrick Motorsports chassis and engines the last couple of years. They're moving and building their own chassis over there at Ford this year. They have some really, really smart people over there, no doubt about it. But are you concerned at all as, as far as growing pains is concerned for Stuart Haas Racing as, as a whole and this four team to sort of reproduce what they've produced the last three years? I think uh, I really think a Stuart Haas team could win the Daytona 500. That's how confident I am in them going to Ford. I think Ford is going to put – they've backed up the Brinks truck for Stuart Haas Racing to leave Hendrick Motorsports. The one thing that Tony did is uh, they got the guy who created the T-Rex um, to be their chassis guy. Rex Stump, yeah. And Rex Stump is phenomenal. I mean, he's the one who broke the mold when it comes to chassis building. And he's going to have solid chassis underneath everybody. They're going to have great power from Roush Yates engines. And it'll take him a couple, I think it'll take a few weeks here and there, whenever they get to the intermediate tracks to figure out aerodynamically how they needed to run those ones. But I think one of the Stuart Haas cars has a really good shot at winning the Daytona 500. Well, I'll say this. I mean, Harvick's won it before. Uh, Boyer's run great on the super speedways before. Um, Kurt Busch has done everything in speed weeks, but when the Daytona 500, he's finished second or third, like four or five times there. So I, I agree with you on that one. Um, listen, I think this four team is sort of benefited by having a, when you look at it this year, they're sort of benefited by this chase program because of the fact that, you know, you can sort of not, not to say that you can struggle and win a championship, but you don't have to be on point. It's not like it was in the Winston cup era where, you had to be on point every single week or you weren't going to win a championship. Now you can kind of have a bad couple of bad weeks and still run for the championship. And uh, I think that benefits a team like Stuart Haas Racing making the transition over to building their own chassis for 2017. Um, the big team, the most interesting team over there is that 10 car. Danica Patrick's the driver. Uh, Billy Scott's back as crew chief. Um, obviously, it looked like Nature's Bakery is going to be back. Now that hasn't happened, Nature's Bakery uh, – it's being sued by Stuart Haas Racing, like I said, for $30 million, over $30 million. They're off the car. Tax acts for four races. Aspen Dental for four races. Just have an announcement tomorrow. They have an announcement tomorrow on, on Race Hub about maybe a potential sponsorship being on that 10 car. But let me just say this, John. It's time. I mean, we sat here and watched Danica Patrick run in the Cup Series for four years. She hasn't finished better than 24th in the standings. She didn't have any top 10 finishes last year. It's time. The excuses are completely gone. It is time for Danica Patrick to step up and make it because if she doesn't, she could be out of a ride quickly because the sponsorship that she brought is now no longer there. And it makes you wonder if, you know, how deep are Gene Haas, Haas's pockets because Boyer doesn't have sponsorship, you know, uh, fully for that car. They're looking for sponsorship on a 14 car. 
You know, the 41 is, is partially ran by Haas Automation, which is a Gene Haas company. And now you got the 10 car with, with Nature's Bakery gone. Um, you have to wonder how deep his pockets are, and will that stuff make Danica suffer? Um, it's a very interesting year for her. I think it's a big year for her, um, and it's time for her to step up, no doubt about it. Plus, there's a lot of Gene Haas money going overseas to the F1 effort of Haas F1. I mean, that's not that's not a cheap endeavor there. So he's he's making CNC machines like crazy to make sure that they can keep funding his racing habit. I really think the when you look at Stuart Haas racing, you can bank on the four being solid. Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers, when they put those two together, they've been lightning in a bottle since they started. I think Kurt Busch and Tony Gibson have worked well together. I think Boyer's got something to prove. And Mike Bogoravich got himself, got his feet wet with Tony Stewart. If you're going to get your feet wet with a crew chief, with a driver who's going to tell you everything that can be wrong with the car or anything like that, Tony Stewart's a guy that's going to be a good guy to get your feet wet with. He's going to make, Boyer's going to seem like a picnic compared to smoke in the, in the uh, seat. And then you got Danica. Uh, I wrote my column finally, it's been a while, but I wrote a column today on speedwaymedia.com. And one of the things I did, three things that I think could happen. One of them is I think Matt Kenseth is in that 10 car in 2018. I think this is make or break year for that 10 car. GoDaddy had the funds that brought her to NASCAR. When GoDaddy went away, Nature's Bakery, they came to the table because they felt Danica's brand was perfect with them and then they wind up not paying the bills and Danica doesn't have the sponsorship knocking down the door that everybody thought she would because she's Danica Patrick she doesn't have sponsorship knocking down the door because she doesn't finish higher than 27th in points and nobody's going to want to spend 30 million dollars a year to sponsor a team unless you're up there chasing for wins chasing for the championship and she's nowhere near there and unless some miracle happens, she's not going to be. And Danica, Danica Patrick's value, if she doesn't run good, is off the racetrack. And they, these companies can have her with a personal service contract. They can have her off the racetrack all they want without spending the $27 million. That's what uh, GoDaddy.com has done. You know, they, have, they ha- still have a personal service contract with Danica, but they don't sponsor her cup operation anymore because it doesn't make sense to spend $20 million going up there and finishing 25th in points. But listen, I just want to make it clear. The excuses for Danica Patrick are over. They're done. I'm sorry. I cannot sit there and you can't sit there and tell me that, uh, you know, she's, she's still learning. I mean, she's been in the cup now. She's run more cup races than she ran IndyCar races. Uh, and when you put it in that perspective, you go, wow. And she's been in prime equipment her entire career. It's time for her to step up. Uh, and I talked about a growing pains and I think there will be growing pains for Stuart Haas racing. I made that clear talking about Kevin Harvick, but to wonder if a growing pain is going to, you know, Danica Patrick, when there was no growing pains last year, finished 24th in points. Where's she going to finish now that there's growing pains over there at Stuart Haas Racing? It makes you really wonder, John, uh, where this 10 team is going to end up. I think, like I said, I think the 10 team is going to end up with somebody else driving that car next year, whether it's Matt Kenseth, whether it's Ricky Stenhouse Jr. I don't see Danica finishing I mean, I see her finishing out this season because I don't think Tony's the type of guy that'll pull up, pull the plug on someone in the middle of the year, or you have done it before, because right. there was solid sponsorship. I think this year, if there's not solid sponsorship, 
And if he can put somebody in the car who's better, he would. But <clears throat> everybody else who's better is pretty much out of the car. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think when you look at it from that standpoint, you know, you have to wonder if, if you know, obviously this, this Nature's Bakery deal did not come up uh, at a great time for them. But it's no doubt about it. I think we've made it clear here on the show tonight that this is a big year for Danica and that 10 team because uh, she's going to need to sell some sponsorship for her performance on the racetrack. And uh, the only way she does that is, is if she starts running up front on a consistent basis. And we have yet to see that from her uh, in her cup career. Moving along here, uh, obviously a new driver in a 14 car this year. Tony Stewart has retired officially. Uh, as, as shocked as a lot of people would have been telling you, uh, a lot of people would have been two years ago telling you this. It's official. He's out. Clint Boyer's in, and Clint's an interesting guy. He finished 27th in the points last year, had three top 10 finishes, 4 H Scott Motorsports. Obviously, he had that one-year endeavor at H Scott Motorsports um, before moving over to Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, I think a lot of people, including Clint himself, when he first went over there, thought the uh, affiliation between the two would be a lot better. It wasn't. Uh, H Scott Motorsports really struggled. Uh, Boyer really struggled. I thought he was better in the second half of the year than he was in the first half of the year. Boyer's a hungry driver here. And no disrespect to Tony Stewart, but I think he was checked out. Uh, you know, I think he, he was sort of looking towards retirement at the end of that 2016 season. And I think Clint Boyer is a very, very hungry race car driver. There's a lot of talk going on on Twitter and everywhere you talk about is whether Clint Boyer is a, val- val- a valid replacement in that 14 car. There's a lot of talk about that. I think he is. I think Boyer can win in this car. I really do. Um, what are your thoughts on Clint Boyer? Obviously, like I said, he's a very hungry driver. Hasn't won a race in a long time. His career has completely changed due to the Spingate ordeal. Uh, he had a big part in that, obviously. But it's it's sort of a second chance here at Stuart Haas Racing to prove he can go out there after Michael Walter Racing shut down and they Scott Motorsports shut down. He's in an established race team that's going to be here for a while. What are your thoughts on, on Clint Boyer's 2017 season? I think Clint Boyer has a great shot at reviving his career this year in this car. Uh, we said earlier, <clears throat> Mike Bogoravich did a great job of getting Tony through his last season. And I think he pretty much checked out too. You could tell whenever he was at New Hampshire that he was just there. I mean, there were certain races he was competitive at, and there were certain races he just okay, here I am. I'm going to ride around the back, and if I'm five laps down, it's not that big a deal. And he wasn't really throwing fits in the car like he would if he got a lap down. I think he was tired of the tired of the big circus, and I think he was tired of some of the NASCAR things. Like he said, he said many a times, I got tired of being the only one who would stand up, and that was the only time you ever heard anybody stand up is when Tony would say what he thought, like he did with the lug nuts and the safety, he ends up getting fined. But then four days later, NASCAR changes the rules. So I think he got tired of being the mayor of the garage. And now he's going to sit back, be a car owner, uh, drive some sprint cars here and there. Once he gets more comfortable in the car, but I think Boyer's got a lot to prove. I think him and Booger Ravitch will be fine. Harvick and him have been teammates before. He's been a semi-teammate with Bush before because whenever Bush was at, uh, back then, the 51 car, and whenever he was also with Furniture Row when they had their partnership with Childress, so he's worked with Boyer before. The three of them have a pretty good relationship. Again, like we said, the 10 car is the one you worry about, but I think Clint Boyer will make the playoffs. 
I think he'll win more than one race. And I think he will be somebody who will be driven to say, hey, I was the right guy to put in that 14 car. And this is my payback for going through my year of purgatory at H. Scott Motorsports. I agree. I think he's a very hungry driver. 917-889-8280 to join our conversation tonight on Talking Circle. So last driver here before we move on to another topic in our 2017 preview is that 41 car in Kurt Busch. I'm going to be honest with you, John. When I first heard this happen, when I first heard that Stuart Haas Racing was going to go after Kurt Busch, I went, wow. You know, and he was coming off a, a, a great year at that 78 car, a year that got him into the chase, a team that uh, obviously they had a little bit of RCR affiliation, but he really, really did a good job in that 78 car. He rebounded his career, made his career great. And I thought when Stuart Haas got, got him, I thought, man, this is going to be the Kurt Busch of old. This is going to be the Kurt Busch who goes out there every week and competes. And he's done that, but I've been a little bit disappointed in his tenure at Stuart Haas Racing. I'll be honest with you. I thought he was going to go out and win a lot more races. I, he, he had a, uh, I don't think him and Canos got along all that great his first year there. Tony Gibson's been there the last two years. We've seen a little bit of improvement from them. But uh, I've, I've been a little bit disappointed, especially in his chase performance last year. I thought his chase performance last year, for whatever the reason, whether it was Stuart Haas got a little bit off on, on – on their chassis, or whether they, you know, they were stepping on the hose over there at Hedrick Motorsports, whatever the reason was, I, I thought that team was going to go out to the chase and really perform, and they kind of laid an egg. It just seemed like they were running towards the back end of the top ten all all chase long, um, and it, I think it's time for this team to sort of take the next to get to the next level, uh, kick it in the high gear a little bit for this 41 car. I think Kurt Busch has the talent to do it. I think Tony Gibson is good enough to do it. Um, what do you think was holding that team back? And do you think you'll see uh, sort of the next level from that 41 team in 2017? I think Kurt Busch will be fine. I think a lot of the chase performance and you look at Harvick's chase performance last year, it wasn't the Kevin Harvick we saw the previous two. I think there was the um, Hendrick Motorsports saying, okay, you're going to be a Ford team next year. Guess what? You're a Ford team. Now you don't get the notes that we have. I don't care, even though it says we're supposed to share. They only shared some of it. And even Harv, I mean, Rodney Childers said in an NBC podcast, um, we didn't know how much was real and how much was just made up. So, and then Hendrick didn't think Stuart Haas was sharing information. And Rodney said, hey, we gave him an open book, but they didn't know if we were BSing him or not. So I think the, uh, the Stuart Haas moving to Ford hurt both their teams whenever it was chase time last year. And I knew Hendrick, there was no way Hendrick was going to let a Stuart Haas car beat them in their own stuff, especially when they were going to Ford the next year. I think Kurt and Tony just have this phenomenal relationship where in the, if you listen to their in-car radio, sometime Kurt will say a couple words and Gibson will finish a sentence. And they're that tuned in with how the car is and how to work it. And Tony Gibson's an old school field uh, crew chief. And Kurt Busch is an old school field driver. So it's not like the engineering overrules everything where it's like, okay, engineering says we should take three quarters of a click out of this. And Bush is saying, well, my butt feels this. And Tony Gibson knows what his butt feels and how to adjust to his butt. And that's, I think they'll be fine this year. I think the 41 team will contend. The problem is whenever we hit the playoffs, unlike, I mean, you, unlike most of your other sports, you get all 16 cars that make the playoffs. Most of the time, 12 to 13 of them are legit contenders for the championship. Unlike 
your stick and ball sports where you get eight teams in the playoffs, maybe three have a shot on each in each conference instead of everybody has a, a shot at winning it. And I think it's one of those things, the smallest little, the smallest engineering problem, the smallest pit road issue, and you're 10th instead of fourth. And that's how close these teams are when it comes playoff time. I agree. And, and that's, you know, that's what makes winning a championship so tough in the NASCAR uh, excuse me, I almost said it. I almost owe you a dollar. In the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series, uh, as I get used to saying here in 2017. But that's what makes it uh, winning a championship so tough. And I think that's what makes the 40, 48 team that much more remarkable. Uh, John, a couple of things coming up this weekend. Obviously, uh, Speed Weeks 2017 is upon us. Friday, they get to the ra- they'll hit the racetrack. The, the, the Clash cars will hit the racetrack. Saturday, you'll see the, the actual Daytona 500 cars hit the racetrack. Uh, and Saturday night is the Clash. Auto, Vance Auto Parts sponsoring the Clash this year. Vance Auto Parts Clash. Uh, Seventeen drivers eligible or, or will be in it. You know, should be in it. Um, Kurt Busch, Kyle Busch, Austin Dillon, Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, Martin Truex Jr., Denny Hamlin, Brad Keselowski, Kevin Harvick, Jimmy Johnson, Alex Bowman. All those drivers are eligible via uh, 2016 poll. Danica Patrick's eligible because of her Daytona 500 poll. Then you got Chris Buescher, Kyle Larson, and Jim McMurray, who made the chase last year. And then, of course, Daniel Suarez, which whether or not he should be in this race is a different discussion for a different day. But he's in because Carl Edwards would have been in, and they had the car prepared already at Joe Gibbs Racing. No, I'm not kidding. Um, hmm. What are your thoughts on, on this chase? Uh, or, excuse me, on this clash, I should say. On Vance Auto Parts Clash, uh, it's, a, it's a two, basically a two-segment thing. It's going to be 75 laps. They're going to throw a competition caution at lap 25. Then they're going to run it to the end through 50 laps. Um, what are your thoughts? Do you think we're going to see good racing here? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on this clash here to start off the 2017 season? I think we'll see seven cars finishing at the end. Um, this will be a good one where we find out if um, the NASCAR five-minute fix-your-car rule goes into effect because there will be a pileup. Somebody's <laughs> yes. going to be dumb enough to go three to four wide into turn one. And they're going to pile them up in there, and we'll find out how the rule goes. I think, like I said, seven cars maybe finishing the thing off um, just out of the blue. I think I'll take uh, Kyle Larson to win it with either Kurt Busch or Harvick finishing second. That's a good bold prediction. I like that. But you're right. I mean, this race always seems to have a lot of attrition, a lot of wrecks. I'm going to be very curious. Last year, they had 25 cars in this race. Uh, it was insane. Um, or something to that nature. Maybe 22 cars. I can't remember how many. But there's a lot less. 17, and they don't have to have an exact number anymore, which is nice to see. Uh, but I think with that, you know, the, the purse, who knows what the purse is? NASCAR doesn't release the purse anymore, which, uh, yeah. But um, they don't release a purse anymore. And, you know, now it's it's a little bit more, you get a little bit more money for it because there's not as many cars in the race. So, we used to see teams in the, in the past, you know, I think it was AJ Allmendinger and JTG Daughtery Racing pull out uh, a couple of times, say, I don't want to tear up a chassis because it's not worth it for me. Uh, with the, maybe the lack of practice time at Daytona, at least a little bit lack of, of what we used to see in the past uh, at Daytona, and, and a little bit more money for these teams, we won't see teams pull out, but who knows? Uh, you know, there's still the opportunity that these teams might pull out. The official entry list hasn't come out yet for the, the clash at Daytona, but I'm excited. I, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see, John, if the bottom lane is going to go, because the last couple of years in these restricted plates, I think we've discussed this at the show at length. Uh, the, I think the product's been sort of lackluster. 
whether that's the drivers sort of hanging back in the Daytona 500 and sort of hanging, you know, not running as hard as they could because they don't want to tear up the race car. Um, but I'm really curious in that Saturday night race if if we see that team, if we see that bottom lane really go and be equal at least to that uh, to the top lane because it just seems like in recent years the top lane's been dominant. I think that is going to be what I'm looking out for during the clash on Saturday. What what other is there anything anything else you're going to look at uh, for the clash on Saturday? Uh, just the like I said, the big thing is who causes a big pile up. Who gets mad about it? Who's just like, well, it wasn't a car I planned on running anyhow. Shucks, darn. I mean, we'll see who's got their game face on already and who's just there to uh, put the miles in because they have sponsor commitments and all that stuff. And to, to be honest with you, the clash to me has not really been anything I've wanted to watch in years uh, because they made a mockery out of it for a long time. At least they're getting back to where the pole position winners and chase people are in. They threw the Daytona 500 pole in so they can get Danica in, but she'll be running 17th for most of the thing. And this will be one where you'll see 17 cars in one draft and someone will get loose and you'll see seven cars left at the end. Um, I don't, the, the bottom lane, I'd like to see it get going more. You'd think it would be the one to go because it is the shortest way around, but it's more of a pain in the butt to get everything going. You get more momentum on the top. It's just right. one of those things when you hit Daytona, it's it's a crash fest waiting to happen. It's just a matter of who does what, when, and if the racing's good before the crash fest. Yeah, and I agree with you about the clash, John. I think it's been something that's been hard to watch the last couple of years. I know I get excited when my driver's in it. I think what the thing that helps it is that it's in the beginning of the year. It's the first event. Everybody's dying for some racing action um, I would personally like to see them ch- chop off a couple of laps here, make it like a 25, 30 lap segment and, and say, go up, go for it. Like it used to be. Um, I don't think NASCAR is going to do that anytime soon, but I would love to see that. I just think 75 laps is, you know, you're sort of not really doing anything for 25, for 25, 50 laps. And then the last 25, these guys really push hard. Uh, no doubt about it. They told 500 qualifying Sunday, John, um, you know, obviously, if you watch Daytona 500 qualifying, it's not the most exciting thing in the world. Single car runs. Um, if you're watching you know, Daytona 500 qualifying, you need help. <laughs> right. But there are some interesting things about it as far as who makes the field this year. Because last year, the way it was with, with the chartering system, uh, you had two teams make it in on time, and then two teams race their way in, in the duels. Well, right now it looks like, and the official entry list has not been announced but it looks like there'll be 42 cars trying for 40 spots through the Daytona 500. Um, six open teams will be Elliott Sadler, Timmy Hill, Reed Sorensen in the 55, Brendan Gaughan, uh, Corey LaJoy, and DJ Kennington from Canada with Gaunt Motorsports. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, John, who gets in. Uh, you know, we don't know a whole lot about a lot of those teams like Gaunt Motorsports, uh, you know, uh, Rick Ware Racing's entry, um, in Brandon Gaughan's entry, which has an RCR engine in it. But if you had to take a guess right now, uh, who do you think has got the best shot at making the Daytona 500 of those six open teams? Uh, who do you think has got the best shot at making it? I think Elliot Sadler does. Tommy Baldwin always finds a way to run well at Daytona. I mean, you remember back in the day, whenever they were, he was just getting his single-car team started, Dave Blaney was in the lead 
when Montoya played chicken with the jet dryer. And they <laughs> right. didn't think they were going to get the race in. And they, and they thought Dave Blaney was going to win the Daytona 500. And he always finds a way to run well at restrictor plate races. Tommy Baldwin is great with a wrench. And he's great at putting restrictor plate cars together. And I think he's the one who's got a chance. I mean, you think about it, he actually won the Daytona 500 with Ward Burton way back when. Yeah, and the 22 car for Bill Davis Racing was a crew chief there in 2002. Uh, no, I agree with you. I think Sadler's got the best shot at making that of all those guys. I think Gaughan's got a good shot at it, too. Gaughan's an Xfinity uh, veteran. He knows what he's doing. They're going to have an RCR engine behind it. Uh, I think he's got a good shot at making it. The team I'm worried about, the 51 car from Hill, doesn't sound like they're going to have uh, too much horsepower going down there. Um, I'm going to be interested to see how DJ Kennington does. And I, I hope Corey LaJoy makes it because I think I like the kid a lot. I think he's got a lot of skill. But those triad engines, if they're using triad engines, good luck. Because, I mean, that you know, uh, I, I watched that team very closely last year for, for personal reasons. Um, and triad engines were frustrating as could be last year. So I hope LaJoy has enough speed to, with the draft to make it because I know he's not going to have enough speed and single car runs to make it. Um, I don't, I'm not even sure if they're running triad this year, but I hope that, that they're a little bit faster than we were last year because every plate race last year, single car runs, they were a disaster. Um, a couple more things here, John, before we wrap up the show. Uh, we talked about a little bit earlier composite bodies for 2018. Derek Cope t- touched on it during the interview. Um, an article today that came out uh, saying talking about composite bodies possibly coming to NASCAR in the Cup Series in 2018. Uh being a guy who knows these race knows pretty pretty a lot of things about the uh, technical side of race cars, I just want to get your take on on the composite bodies. Do you like the the idea? Do you think it's a step in the right direction? Arca's done it for a couple of years now. What are your thoughts on the composite bodies here? Uh, if NAS, that's something NASCAR is considering doing, well, the one thing it'll do it'll save money at the fab shop because those bodies are handmade. The composite bodies they're you pull them out of the shell. It's going to turn into a kit car if they keep this stuff up. And I don't want to see a kit car every Sunday. I, if I want to do that, I'll just go driving down the road and watch a kit car that somebody made in their backyard instead of watching them try to drive 500 miles and see if they can make it. I, I like the sheet metal. I like the way that they create the cars. Um, but the carbon fiber bodies, the composite bodies, I think, I mean, if anything, what it will do is save on money at the bot at the fab shop, which basically will turn into more wind tunnel time, more anything else time to try to find a way to get downforce or anything else in different ways to make it happen. I don't see it as a win or a lose other than it'll save money in one place that they can spend somewhere else. No, I agree with you. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how, how it will happen for NASCAR here. One last thing here, John, before we, we, we close out tonight's show and, and we want to thank everybody for listening to talking circles. It was a great, Great interview with Derek Copley. A lot of fun. 917-889-8280 here if you want to join the conversation. The last little bit of this show here. Uh, but an article by a guy named Gordon Kirby caught a lot of attention today by a lot of people. Basically, I'll break it down for you. It basically stated that Carl Edwards is getting paid about $15 million to sit out this season and then join Team Penske in a third car next season. Um, and it sounded like he also put that Daniel – this is his words – that Daniel Suarez's father uh, has a lot of money it was gonna, and is looking to purchase Joe Gibbs Racing. Now, I'll say this. The guy he, I believe he was referring to in that article was Carlos Slim from Aris. 
Now, whether or not he's interested in Joe Gibbs Racing, buying Joe Gibbs Racing or not, I don't know. Uh, but what are your thoughts on, on this whole Gordon Kirby article? Um, I, I know a lot of people in the industry have sort of looked at it and said, well, he's not really uh, you know, too big of a name. But what are your thoughts on that whole article with Gordon Kirby here that, that sort of uh, you know, caught a lot of attention today? I think it's pretty good fiction. Um, but the one thing is, we've talked about it, is the ownership group in NASCAR is not getting any younger. If J.D. Gibbs wasn't having his health issues, I could see Joe Gibbs Racing staying in the Gibbs family as long as they wanted to go. But J.D. isn't going to be able to run the show like he used to. And I'm not sure Coy is equipped to run the show like J.D. did. And Joe Gibbs wants to make sure his 400 people in the shop still have jobs. And if Carlos Slim wants to buy the team, I could see Joe selling the team to a guy like Carlos Slim, who is a billionaire, to know that his people will still be taken care of. And maybe Joe has a ceremonial role with the team or something going forward. I could see that as a possibility down the road. I don't see it happening today. I don't see it happening next week. And I don't see Carl Edwards all of a sudden deciding to step away from racing and get paid $15 million to sit there and then all of a sudden show up at Team Penske next year, which I think Tim Sindrick put it great that he's running the sixth car for Penske at the <laughs> Indy 500 this year on his Twitter feed. Because you heard Moody bitching about it the whole time on Speedway saying, thanks, Sindrick, now everybody's going to be on that one thinking it's real. Right. I don't think it is. If anything, no, I think um, the one that I want to see is what happens with Matt Kenseth next year. I really think Carl's done. He walked away, he called it himself. He said, I'm taking a step back. And the thing is, once you take that step back, it's really tough to come back. You just can't walk away. If you look, Mark Martin tried to go away, but he kept his feet in. He'd do a partial schedule. And he did a partial schedule. Then he drove the full season for Hendrick a couple years in a row. You don't just walk away and then hop back in. I mean, Jeff Gordon even said it. He's sat out for over half a season and he wasn't comfortable in the car when he came back. No, I mean, it's interesting. I think when you look at it, you have to sit there and say, um, you know, there's a lot of, you said, I think great fiction. Um, No doubt about it. I think it's, you know, I agree with you. Everything you said about Joe Gibbs racing. I think it's a possibility that, uh, maybe Carlos Slim is looking at buying Joe Gibbs Racing down the road. Uh, JD obviously is not doesn't have the health the same health he used to have, um, and I think that was the ultimate plan when they looked at it and they said the exit plan to Joe Gibbs Racing, you know, uh, was going to be JD. Now JD's having his health issues. You're not really sure what Joe Gibbs Racing is going to do, and you don't want to see it fall behind the wayside if you're Joe Gibbs Racing. Say, hey, listen, you know, I'm get if you're Joe Gibbs saying, hey, listen, I'm getting a little older, you know. Um, and and if somebody's here to sort of buy the team and run it that's a little bit younger than me, I'm going to take that opportunity and do it. I agree. I don't think it's going to happen today or tomorrow. Um, but I think down the road that is a possibility. The Edwards thing, um, I don't see it happening. You know, unless Carlos Slim, you know, and, and we'll find this out, I'm sure, unless he bought part of the team and said, listen, I want Suarez in. I don't care about Carl Edwards. I want him out. 
I don't think that happened. I, I don't think Joe Gibbs would have let that happen. Um, but again, it's great fiction. And I think um, the possibility that Joe Gibbs Racing would sell in the next five years, uh, maybe five, ten years down the road, I think that's that's pretty possible considering, like we've talked about JD and all that. Um, but I, I just don't see it happening anytime soon or or this week. Um, John, you know, Speed Weeks is, is here. We're excited about it. Um, you know, are you ready to go here for 2017? Because, you know, for the next 40 weeks, uh, our life's going to be pretty much devoted to uh, the TV set here. Uh, are you ready for, for Speed Weeks 2017? I'm looking forward to the real racing getting started. I mean, I as we all know, I'm a huge fan of restrictor plate racing, so I can't wait till <laughs> we get going with restrictor plate racing and watch everybody follow the leader until somebody smashes it up, and then we'll follow the leader again. Um, I'm actually looking forward to see how these segments go. I'm looking to see who is going to surprise us this year. I think there's going to be somebody out of the blue who we're not talking about right now that may surprise us. I think there's a chance that A.J. Allmendinger could be – he ran great the second half of the year. I think Chris Buescher in decent equipment – has a chance to be something special. I think Clint Boyer is going to surprise everybody by how he hasn't never forgotten how to drive a race car. He's just back in good stuff again. I think it's going to be interesting seeing the Stuart Haas change from Chevy to Ford and being on their own. There's a lot of storylines going to be cool to watch this year. Those are what I'm looking forward to. And I mean, one of the things that came out of tonight, I'm looking forward to pulling Derek Cope along, making sure he makes the field, and hopefully find ways to get to the top 20. And somebody gets on the hood of the car, puts some funding in it, and see a guy who's who loves going to the track be successful. I I agree there, John. And I think there's a lot of things to look forward to and a lot of things of, of intrigue going into this 2017 season. You talked about JTG Daughtery Racing, Chris Busher over there. Uh, Chris is a, is a very talented driver. A lot of people are very high on him. He's won a championship in the Xfinity Series in a, in a very good ride. I think RCR equipment's good. RCR engines are going to be good this year. Uh, something he didn't have, you know, last year. It was a Roush car to 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 an extent, but it was not. Obviously, this this year is going to be a little bit better for him, no doubt about it. Uh, I think he's going to be that team. The whole organization is going to be very interesting over there. Can they handle two teams? You know, I think even. Uh, I know they ran the Xfinity Series, and they had two cars there for a little bit with Kelly Byers and Marcos Ambrose over there at JTG Daughtery Racing before making the jump into the Cup Series. But, um, yeah, I think when you look at it from that standpoint, that's going to be very interesting. I'm interested in the segments, too. I I'm you know I know you're not a big fan of Super Speedway Racing, and we were talking about Super Speedway Racing uh, at length last year. I think the segments will actually help Super Speedway Racing. And I think the reason why that is is because – You'll get rewarded for running up front. I think the biggest knock to me on restricted plate racing, my biggest knock was the fact that these drivers kind of hung around and, and uh, hung in the back for two-thirds of the race like we saw with Joe Gibbs Racing. They did it all the whole race last year in October at Talladega. Um, that was my biggest knock was that, you know, teams kind of sat in the back and did nothing. And now there's a little bit of an incentive with the playoff points, with the regular season points to go up there and run as hard as you can uh, in the first – couple of segments. I'm not sure Daytona is going to have a big impact, but I think once people realize that the points are going to be very valuable and we get to Talladega in May and we get to Daytona in July, and especially that race in October, that'll really help 
um, <clears throat> those races. I think these segments, uh, and I don't think it'll help anywhere else, to be honest with you. Uh, but I think at the Super Speedways, the segments will really help. Um, what What are your thoughts on that? Do you think they'll help the Super Speedways? And, and do you like the fact that they're throwing caution flags? What are your thoughts? I think it'll actually help more record companies. Because at the end of every segment, it's like you're going to the checker flag. Everybody finds a way to get stupid in the last five laps of, the, of a speedway race. And here you're going to have three chances to do it instead of just one. Um, I think it's going to be, at the end of the Daytona 500, if we have 15 cars running in the lead pack, I'll be surprised. And... If they're going to play all out to begin with, I think there should be still people sitting in the back because at the end of the race, you get the 40 points. If you get the 10 here and there, that's yeah, nice, but nobody's missed the chase by – nobody's missed the playoffs by 10 points or less in the past few years. I mean, usually it's pretty well said who's going to be in 16th because somebody's going to get a penalty through the year that's going to screw them out of the way. That's how it ends up happening. I mean, Newman missed because he had two penalties. If it wouldn't be for the penalties, Newman would have made the chase last year. So I think it just gives them more chances to play smash-up derby because somebody's going to go for that point or either everybody's going to say, ah, so what? Those 10 points aren't going to matter at the end of the year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the teams approach it because nobody you haven't been in this situation before. I also am interested uh, to see how this whole five-minute clock – um, going to the garage and not allowed to come back out. Accident calls that NASCAR's put in. I'm interested to see how that plays out. And I know it's not going to be a major change as far as everything goes. You know, basically you can't add parts and go back out if you head to the garage area. You're not allowed to come back out into the to the uh, racetrack. Um, but I'm interested to see how that goes because John, I think it's going to be chaos. I really do, especially when a team goes on pit road. I think you're going to see teams trying to make something out of nothing when a, a car that shouldn't be running out on the racetrack. They're going to tape it up the best they can and say, go out there and run. And then you're going to have debris fall on the racetrack and then somebody run it over. And it, to me, it's just, when you look at it from that standpoint, you got to sit there and go, is it really worth it? Um, so, you know, that's where I kind of run into this thing. I think that could be, has a potential to be disaster. Um, and that's something I'm looking forward to in 2017 too. see how teams, especially the smaller teams who need to finish in the top 30, uh, or, or team, any expanding in truck series where owner points mean a ton to qualify into these races now, any expanding series in a truck series. Obviously, with the charter system and cup, it doesn't matter as much. Um, but the owner points mean a ton, and those teams in the back markers, teams that are trying to qualify in every week, are going to need every point they can get. Um, I'm just going to be interested to see how NASCAR p- polices all of that. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that whole pro- uh, policy here before we wrap up the show? Uh, you hit the point right on the head there. The Xfinity and Trucks teams, they're the ones that are going to struggle more than anything out of this. But the one thing that I've said all along, hitting the wall is a punishment. You made the mistake, you hit the wall. You're gonna If you've got to the point to where you have to go to behind the wall, you're pretty much done anyway. And you go out and you run the extra 50 laps, for example. If you go to a Talladega or a Daytona, and you wreck early. I mean, you look at that car Austin Dillon finished third in at Talladega last year. There wasn't a part on it that wasn't banged up or taped over or covered up that originally was on the car. 
and he still finished third because they kept tinkering with it. And every pit stop, they came down and put more bear bond on it, or they did bang something else out and somehow stayed in the draft and finished third. Now, at Daytona and Talladega, you got a good good chance of one of those cars that's banged up and says, okay, I'm going to stay in the draft until something falls off, and something falls off, and you got 20 cars piled up and two of them in the grandstands, then you're going to have a big problem. I honestly think if you hit the wall and you can't fix it on pit road, whenever you go down, you if you're doing your normal, go down, make your pit stop, get out before the pace car, come back around, do a little more work, get out before the pace car, if you can't fix it there, park it, go home, enjoy the rest of the weekend because you screwed up, you're done. And I agree. I think that's what NASCAR is trying to do, but I just think it's going to be hard to police. Are you going to stand there where somebody's standing there in front of these teams saying, no, you can't go out? Uh, I just, or black flag them when they do go out? I just think you know, you have the potential for teams leaving debris in a racetrack all over the place. So you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they'll police it better, and maybe it's not going to happen as often as I think it's going to. But I just would hate to see somebody's win or somebody's championship be tainted because some backmarker team that was trying to make owner points went out there without really fixing the car and laid debris on a racetrack. And the guy was running in turn two and was trying to slow down, ran over debris and hit the outside wall and ruined his day. I would hate that over really what I look at it is say what. Um, so, hey, they, they're not going to bring crash carts anymore, apparently, which is a good thing for these teams. How much is that going to save? You know, God only knows how much that's going to save. But uh, I hope that it's not as chaotic as I think it's going to be. That's something I'm very interested in. Uh, I, I want to thank Derek Cope from Spanway, Washington, the 1990 Daytona 500 champion for joining the show tonight. I, I think it was a phenomenal interview. We had a lot of good stuff. John Harlow, thank you so much for helping me out. We are here for Speed Weeks. We'll be back here next week dissecting the auto advanced auto parts clash at Daytona. And Daytona 500 qualifying. We'll see you next week on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody.